Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen in. Nice to have you along. I am delighted to be joined by Emma Del Torto. Emma is the Managing Director of the very successful HR consultancy based in Wales in the UK, Effective HRM. Emma, thank you very much for coming along today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Ben. It's lovely to be here. And whereabouts in Wales are you? So I'm sitting in our office, which is based in Ronvakan and Taft. Uh, in uh, a little-known place called Nantgaru, which is not very far from Cardiff. We're just outside Cardiff, really. Wonderful. Oh, well, I've been following the the antics of these two Hollywood stars who bought a, a Welsh football team, so um, they've been trying to practice their Welsh. Yeah, well, yes, and they've bought Wrexham, which obviously is North Wrexham. Wales, um, but there have been some very amusing um, <laughs> anecdotes about um, them learning Welsh and yeah, uh, I think yeah. some, you know, I think there was a translator, wasn't there, there was a Welsh That's translator right, yeah. talking about them in Welsh, which is, Brilliant. you know, shows that they have a sense of humour as well. I love it. Excellent. Well, thank you for, for coming along today. I'm really looking forward to the chat. Perhaps we can kick things off. Do you want to just give a, a quick summary, your background up to forming Effective HRM? Sure. So I am a Londoner originally, uh, and I came to Cardiff to go to university to study law. So that's how nice. I came to Wales. I never planned on staying in Wales, um, but um, like many students, I met somebody uh, and, uh, and ended, up, ended up staying in Wales. Um, but I, had, um, I did go back to London um, to do my training contract. So uh, I was a solicitor. And then I got dragged back over the bridge as soon as I qualified. And most of my career, uh, so my professional career has been in, in, in Wales. Yeah. So I, w- I was an employment lawyer. That was my background. So before starting an HR consultancy. Brilliant. So what led you to start the HR consultancy? Well, uh, I mean, that's a good question. And um, often when I reflect upon that, I'd I'd like to think of a really clever, like a really clever response. And that's like, I saw how people were doing it wrong. Um, But that's that's, you know, genuinely what Mm. happened. Um, And I was getting, and so I was a litigator. So most of my clients were, um, so I had been a trade union lawyer. So that was like, so I was a trade Ah. union lawyer. So I've seen both sides. And then I, and then I started with a firm uh, and uh, practicing more commercial law. So our clients were businesses. So Mm. we, were getting small to medium-sized business clients who were making uh, the same mistake fairly repeated, repeatedly. So I would get them out of trouble uh, and I would um, settle the claim or, um, or you know, or win the claim or, or whatever would happen. Uh, Usually settle, up in yeah. tribunal. And, uh, and then the client would say to me, you've been a very nice person. Uh, thank you so much for your help, but I never want to see you again. <laughs> and, and I... I felt, oh, wow, this is a bit harsh. And I did, so, I worked so hard and I, I did so well for them. Um, and then lo and behold, uh, 12 months later, they would ring me and, oh, here we've got another one, a very similar scenario. Uh, ET1 claim form has landed. And I'd say, oh, 
not going to name any names, no naming, shaming. Mm. Um, and um, I said, why? You had my mobile number or you, you knew. Why didn't you <laughs> ring me earlier? And actually, so it was really about earlier intervention. Um, and uh, the tipping point came for me when I was doing some due diligence, um, you know, which is when there's like buying and selling mm-hmm. of businesses. And I was doing um, some due diligence because uh, for a firm of accountants who were buying other practices. And they uh, and I realized that the accountancy model was a little bit cleverer than than a uh, law firm model in terms of the relationships with like ongoing relationships with clients trusted advisors yeah so exactly trusted advisors um whereas lawyers find it quite hard they work in silos often and they uh, at the different departments and they find hard to sort of refer back and forth to each other um but accountants um look after small to medium-sized businesses they do their payroll weekly monthly they do their quarterly VAT um, so people don't leave their accountants mm. so it's, e- it's mm. an easier business to sell to value and then sell when you want to do when you want to retire off to an island or whatever it is you know so so that was my mm. idea I thought well maybe I should have a business that is built like that yeah. and then I read a book um, by a guy called John Warrillow um, oh, yeah, and yeah. it's a pretty built thin to sell. business book called Built to Sell yeah and I uh, thought that's really clever because actually it's really hard to, it would be, it's really hard to sell. It's harder to sell a law firm or it's harder to sell a business where you're actually, you're delivering very high level, um, you know, uh, you know, where you need to be very experienced and it's, and it's, everything is bespoke. And I thought, why don't I start a business that's um, a little bit um, not like, that's not like that. Um, And that actually, I can build a team around um, around our reputation, but also a lot of the stuff is routine and standard and doesn't need to be me delivering it. Mm. So yeah. that we'll, we'll get yeah. we'll get to it in a moment. But I certainly you, you may have answered a question, but I saw some of the the packages and the way you structured things. So I can see the the flow on from that. I have to say, by the way, with the whole union uh, litigation side of things, you just took me back to my very first job in Australia where I was on a um, manufacturing site. I was the standalone HR guy there and there was a stop work meeting. So, you know, the union, they called a meeting about whatever, whatever. And they brought in a list of demands. They're all angry, angry, but I managed to get them uh, to not strike. But they then brought in a last demand and apparently they had taken the extra five minutes to take a vote on the worst car in the car park. And that was my 1975 Volvo station wagon. So I've always got a soft spot for the unions. Um, <laughs> you know, Well, I think... Um- it my experience has you know has st- st- stood me in good stead if that makes sense yeah, so yeah. um it means that um i have some historic uh, relationships with um uh-huh. trade union uh, reps and stewards and sure. and then you know i worked for the biggest trade union law firm um who had a who have a stellar reputation and do really good work and yeah. that was very really good experience for me mm. in terms of in terms of the work I was able to do and see yeah. but also um it made me understand how things worked and so so if I'm representing the business and I, we have a trade union rep on the other side it's actually it's actually everything goes much smoother because um because uh, you have someone who isn't so emotionally involved in the issue whereas the employee invariably is yeah. you have someone who has some 
knowledge and understanding of employment law and processes and HR. I mean, there are some good old fashioned, um, <laughs> you know, um, table thumping um, trade unionists out there. And they're just, they're just, they're, you know, a challenge as well. And you can just say, hold on a minute, John, because uh, they're always blokes, right? Uh, <laughs> and I'll say, let me, and I, did, I did this in a meeting once, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. I used to do this. I used to be on your side of the table. And immediately <laughs> that diffuses the situation yeah, yeah. and you can reach an amicable, you know, everybody wants to have some kind of resolution, I think. So I like that. Yeah, yeah. no, I love it when builds trust, are yeah. involved. Yeah. Actually, right. workers need unions. Yeah, yeah, okay. Good stuff. So the actual formation of the business, it was just you at that stage. Is that right? What kind of work and how did you set things up at that stage? Uh, when I look back, I realized how absolutely clueless I was. That's the, <laughs> we that's all the first thing. That's the first thing. Um, and yes, it was just me. I left the last law firm that I worked for. Um, I took a client with me um, okay. by agreement. Oh. Um, I had um, settled um, a, a dispute, like stopped it from going to tribunal. And um, the client was looking for some an, a, like ongoing support. They were a, a chain of petrol stations. Mm -hmm. So this would this would have been 2011, and um, they um, and I I I I got permission from the law firm. You know, I didn't breach my restricted covenants. Yeah, I'm wondering I said, how. I really want to do this. Uh, I'm gonna. You know, would it be okay if I take this one client and I'll go? And they said, yeah, okay, <laughs> and uh, uh, you can take that one client, um, and. Um, so off I went and I, you know, I wrote a retainer agreement. I sold them some um, training as well. And that was my first retainer, uh, 500 pounds a month. And I nice. thought I was the cleverest. Um, yeah. 500 pounds doesn't go anywhere, does, does it? But um, it was my first, um, my first client. Um, and that's how, um, that's how I was pitching it. Um, because I really didn't know anything about HR. I just yeah. knew about, about the law. Yes. Uh, so it was really about preventative um, and, you know, it was about um, reactive HR. So, um, I, I mean, I'm, I laugh now, you know, on the selling a training package um, uh. as well. But, um, yeah, it, it, that was that was the that was the beginning. That's brilliant. And that's just such great advice for anyone listening to this is seek ways of getting a client early, even before you leave. So. I think you're the first person who's told me that they've taken a client from their previous employer with permission. So that's good. Um, well, I'm very respectful of that sort of thing, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, and I think I had pitched the idea to the firm, you know, I yeah. said, I think, I really think that, um, that we should be doing this as well because I see this is, this is the way forward ah. and they, uh, and they want it because it would give us a steady stream of, uh, of income rather than the feast and famine, which is mm -hmm. litigation. And, um, uh, and I, and I, I did this whole thing about, I see this is the future. There'd been some changes in the law as well. So we had sort of 2007, there were some changes. Um, it's known like commonly known as Tesco law, right. Okay. Um, you know, sort of, uh, where other people other than law firms provide services. So, right. um, so I was sort of on that basis, there are going to be more HR consultancies in the business, in this arena, you know, we should be doing this as well. And they went, yeah, okay. Um, and we want 50% of everything you do. And I went, oh, that's a bit steep. <laughs> and uh, I said, what about, I just sort of did a bit of negotiation. They went, no, no, 50-50. And I just thought, do you know what? I think I'm just going to go and give it a go myself. And <laughs> can, can I just take this one client? I brought, I mean, they weren't a client of the firm before I was here. Can I just take this one client? And they went, yeah, okay. That's so, brilliant. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's always ask. You know, you can't. That's exactly right. That. Yeah, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take, whatever they say in basketball. But yeah. So, what are the typical use cases and situations, client types that you would be working on now with uh, effective HRM? So, I think the client type hasn't changed mm-hmm. uh, at all. I think what um, over the so we celebrate our ten year anniversary yeah. in on the first of July. So I think the, the type of client hasn't really changed. Um, so we it, it's typically small to medium sized businesses uh, or charities, um, public, you know, quasi public sector organizations as well. Yeah. Um, it's typically uh, businesses who don't have their own HR function or their own HR person. So um, there are clients range from two employees size to 250. So our largest client has 250 empl- employees and we yeah. are their only HR function. Yeah. Um, and I think what's what um, what's changed is the way we deliver services and what we deliver. So when it was just me, it was really it's the problem has, you know, um, you know, the pro- a problem has occurred and it's a reactive service. And those are the things that I like best because that's my background and experience, but, you know, troubleshoot and then I can get out. Yeah. Um, but actually, as we've grown as a business um, and the team has grown around me, uh, we we deliver more pro, much more proactive so we have a we have an hr administration team who deliver day-to-day hr admin to businesses um our hr management team same who deliver again a little bit of proactive and uh, some re- reactive but really we are about um like early intervention so mm-hmm. If someone is off sick, not waiting 28 weeks to do something about it, which is the you know statutory sick pay, um, and in actually you know day three, you know encouraging the businesses to um, to be to be more proactive. It's okay to ring up that sort of thing. And, and how has your role personally changed or evolved? Then, if your speciality is the troubleshooting situation, are you doing more of the the proactive stuff, which perhaps you don't enjoy as much, or have you just built the team in, in such a way that you can stick to what you're good at and enjoy the most? So my mission was to just make myself redundant in at every stage so um so when you start off you know you know you know you wear many hats so at the right at the beginning I was doing the bookkeeping as well as well you know so but I think that was the first thing that I got rid of because I was just not didn't enjoy it wasn't great at it um and then in terms of um in terms of the work itself so um I have a great um colleague called Claire and she's also an ex-lawyer and actually um she also came from the trade union firm that I came from although we had we didn't we'd never worked together but um but it's you know someone's background I think Mm. or you know that you you know if they if you know which firm they've worked for so so she takes care of a lot of the um more complicated stuff I think that's fair to say um and and then, yeah, so, I mean, I'm trying not to do any client work at all. So that's enabled you to step back a bit, has it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and although I keep slipping back in, and this is a big, this is a danger as well, um, if you have grown something. Um, and it, um, and again, this is the, um, you know, the e-myth. Yep. Um, there are three different um, sort of, exp- you know, sort of, if you are, if you have the technical expertise, it's very easy to get yourself sucked back in. Um, for example, like if you run a restaurant and you are an ex chef, you, you know, and yeah, the chef yeah. doesn't turn up, you know, it's easy to step. Oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll <laughs> make the, 
you know, whatever it is, the souffle. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but if you don't know how to make a souffle and you own a restaurant, you can't do it. Right. So yeah. you have to be you have to be better at recruitment. Um, so that's um, I think that's for me, that's a shortcoming because I do step back in. And if, if I've pitched for a project, um, then I think, oh, this is really interesting project. I'd really like to deliver. This. <laughs> I want to do this. Yeah. You get sucked, you get totally get sucked in. So, for example, at the moment, the work, um, like the pandemic related work around remote working and flexible working. Now, that was always flexible working was almost my favorite um, mm. sort of topic. So um, I'm really interested in what's going on. Yeah. Um, at the moment in terms of that stuff and we've got a couple of I'm gonna have to hold myself back from actually <laughs> going and delivering the focus groups um so so but it's it's very easy to and especially if you still like the topic right you still like what you do it's very easy to keep getting sucked back in but it's not the best for business development and business growth so what is the best what what is your if, if everything worked beautifully and you resisted the temptation to dive into the some of these things that you enjoyed what is your managing director role or what should it be? That's a very good question. Um, and I'd probably have a much bigger business if I was much more disciplined, but I'm having far too much fun. <laughs> I think that's the, so and that's really important as well, right? Yeah. Because it's important in business to still keep having fun. So I think the proper textbook answer would be that you build a, an extremely competent team around you and you have all the different functions of a business um, uh, and the person who's leading and you let them lead so you know have an ops manager and and that person is um, is allowed to um, put the office back together uh, and buy all the new new equipment and all that you know you let them do all those things and the same for um, every other aspect so Gemma who's my business partner um, she manages all the client relationships now um, and I and I do my very best to um, to keep out of that. I get accused of meddling sometimes. So what should you be focusing on then? Um, so what I'm good at spotting, I think, is opportunities uh, and and also and a bit of diversification. So we uh, we bought a business. We bought another consultancy uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and that were just came up. Um, just by chance uh, and that was a that was a really good opportunity for what kind of size um about 100 clients right at the time yeah it's about yeah 70 70 100 clients something like that um it was a smaller consultancy to our than ours but um what it gave us it gave us a portfolio of health and safety uh, clients who were also um, ha- uh, being provided with health and safety consultancy. So we do that as well. That's not mm-hmm. what we set, set out to do, but we, we do now. So we um, additional, we provide additional services. Yeah. Um, and then also uh, outside of our immediate geography as well. So the client, the client base was um, sort of London, um, Southwest, Southeast. So we've expanded um, geographically as well. Got it. And so was that an acqui hire where you take on staff or you just you just take on the client base and, and run it, it as a going concern? Yeah, no, it was just the client base. Just, yep. So there were no there were no staff. Um the the clients were serviced entirely by consultants. Got it. So oh by outsourced consultants. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So we didn't we didn't have to TP transfer any staff yep. over. 
Um, and we took the consultants. So we carried on using the consultants for a time for a period of time. Um, and then we um, found and then we found some others as well. Got it. Okay. And so earlier we were talking about the way you've sort of structured your services and you're looking to not just bespoke everything. So can you explain, you've got some really cool packages or service offerings. You've got the effective HR director. There's the effective remote HR support. There's the problem solver package, which I love by the way, uh, and pit stop documents as well as an effective shop. So you've got sort of five things there. Can you explain what those things are? Yeah. So I mean, there's some situations that are going to require um, some high level strategic problem solving. Um, and then there are others that we see day in, day out, actually, that, um, that, that can be resolved, that can be resolved more easily with a series of um, sort of templated responses or templated answers. I mean, the best the best thing um, that we try, you know, the thing that we try to promote is actually prevention is better than cure. Yeah. So that, um, and, and actually I would say about 85, 90% of our work still comes from there's, there's a, there's a fire, there's a fire. <laughs> I mean, we need someone yeah. to put it out. Um, but then when we've sol- solved that, what we say is, okay, look, your contracts of employment um, are out of date or you don't have any or you haven't issued them or you've issued them and they haven't been signed and that's what's caused the problem so here is our standard contract um, and you can download that and you can um, you can fill it in yourself uh, and it, you know populate it and here is our standard you haven't got a staff handbook um, here is our essential staff handbook for 250 pounds. You could, if you, especially if you're a small business, you're just starting out, um, or even if you're, you know, medium-sized business and you haven't got these documents in place, getting some infrastructure is really important um, to prevent problems happening that will cost more money. Mm-hmm. So the reason that we've put these things into onto a web shop um, is to encourage people to not say that they haven't got the time or the money to do these things because that's what we're hearing we're hearing the objections oh i haven't got time to do this i haven't got time to write a hundred page staff handbook Mm. you don't need to have a hundred page staff handbook um you don't need to have everything um detailed but there are some essential things that will help a business so that's that's kind of um, and also, I mean, I think I think one staff handbook once took me a year and a half. Um, this is in the early days, a year and a half it took from start to finish to get sign off. And I just I remember sitting there thinking, like, there has to be an easier way um, because it was just so time consuming. And that was the other thing I found that no one ever read my staff handbooks. I got really hurt. It got read twice a year when someone got went and yeah. did something naughty. And that was about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the same way, they said, oh, Emma, we really, we never want to see you again. Emma, we're never yeah. going to read your stuff. But it's a little bit, you know, a little bit, um, How you do know, you? it hurts my feelings, yeah. you know. So, so the, the putting things together in a really digest, sort of digestible manner so that it's easy to fill in and easy to issue as well. So that, you know, because the biggest thing about, about HR, the most important thing is mm. about communicating it as well. So communicating. Yeah. So you can have the most glorious staff handbook if you haven't issued it and provided some training mm. and shared the policies with your staff, then then you know that's that's use it's useless. It's a yeah. it's a shiny piece of, you know, um it doesn't do anything for your business. Not at all. It's actually pretty much the first pro- consulting project I think I ever did was um some small to medium business had 
forked out a couple of grand for a, an employee handbook template and they've got it and thud onto the desk and, oh, now what do we do with it? And so they hired me to, to you know, customize it, but then to roll it out and get sign off and, you know, explanation sessions. And then you could turn that into the retainer of, well, every new batch of new starters, every three months I'll run uh, briefing sessions and get them to sign them off as well. So there's all sorts of ways you can spin that. So longer term in terms of the, the products and services that you've got, and you've got a, a geographic uh, range to cover, uh, are there any particular types of services or packages that you would lean on more in the future? Well, I think the last 15 months or so has really proven that we can deliver our service completely remotely mm. and can really um, you know, look after clients anywhere in the UK. And that, I mean, that's what's happened. I think until about two months ago, I hadn't seen a single client, you know, and, uh, you know, I think there have been a couple of emergencies, but, you know, whereas we're, we were used to just being, you know, rushing out and going to, you know, sit at the side of a client during a disciplinary yeah. and uh, who knew that it would be totally acceptable to run redundancies entirely by Zoom. I mean, it's that terrible George Clooney film, up was... in the air, <laughs> you know, and um, which, which I actually loved because it's I, a great you know, movie. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love George, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it, it, you know, it's taken a pandemic to make to you know to to make us really efficient as well. So we can pass those savings of the time and um, travel. We can pass those savings on to clients and be very efficient in terms of how we deliver the service. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, it's what you have to what you have to keep doing is keep it the the client relationship as yeah. well. Speaking of the, the client relationship, do they prefer sort of a retainer structure or the call you when we need you type thing? Which do they prefer? We, we most of our clients are retainer clients, mm -hmm. um, which, um, which is the model that I prefer. Mm. Um, and we do also do project work and we do some ad hoc work as well, um, mm. because some some clients some clients aren't ready for a retainer. And some clients um, might actually already have an internal HR function or an internal HR team, but just need an extra pair of hands on a specific project. Yeah. So, um, but in terms of if we're talking about business models, and I and I you know share this in you know various HR consultant groups in terms of a business model um, that you want to build in, to sell. Um, the retainer um, is mm. the retainer model is is a very good is a very good model because when it comes to valuing a business and this it also relies on you having set things up properly so your retainer agreements um, are legally binding contracts and I'm not suggesting that um, you become a mini peninsula. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not allowed to say the p word, am I? But um, <laughs> Um, but but it, it there is a reason why those those um, you know that what the, why we have a retainer agreements and that's to protect your business. So um, if you have um, and because I mentioned that we'd bought another business, I'd also I've also been looking at other businesses to purchase, mm -hmm. and um, we we've done due diligence on about three other businesses, and sadly they those consultants hadn't appreciated the you know that that. Um, that, that without the retainer agreements and the legally binding agreements, you don't have a business to sell. You just you just have your your personal services, um, because if there's no if there's no retainer agreement, the client can go off 
yeah. uh, and to go off to somewhere else so that they're, you know, it, it really doesn't, it's not a business, it's not a business, um, you know, so no one's going to buy it. Yeah. Good point. So advice for people listening to this who might think, Oh, I wouldn't mind Emma buying my business. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Yeah. Come and contact me. But in terms of structuring the retainers and things like the pricing and also the legal side, what's your advice there? So what, what I've noticed is that um, health and safety consultancies seem to be um, very good at um, signing, um, sign, you know, sort of having their clients sign agreements. And that might be around the compliance nature yeah. of health and safety. It also might be because um, statistically mo- that's a male-dominated um, arena and um, you know this is like, like there's no robust research uh, behind mm, these statements mm. but HR is largely um, female dominated uh, profession so there might be th- that difference but if you are thinking that you want to build a business um, that one day you want to get the benefit of by selling it um, contracts are really really important so the retainer agreements that you have with your clients is um, is a start is the basic starting point point um and uh, and build it with that in mind as well doesn't mean you can't give a personal service um but it does you know you have to um you know think about the packages that you provide as well and about efficiency uh, of um how you deliver the service yeah. so we're trying to do everything much more rem- you know remotely now because because the last year has demonstrated that yeah. we really can um, so for someone listening to this, to be clear for the retainer side of things, a one year or one to three year contract at this fee per month with these following services yep. and this sort of you know service levels or measurements in place. That's really what you're speaking about there, right? Yeah, I think it's about clarity about what you're going to deliver. Um, and if in a retainer agreement, if you set out really clearly what it is you're going to deliver and it doesn't necessarily, I mean, some people prefer to have, um, this is how much time I'm going to provide you with or the time on site or time remotely or doing your admin, whatever it is. Um, and you might be a reseller uh, of a cloud-based HR um, system like Breathe HR or My mm. HR Toolkit, um, to name a couple um, that mm. have been bought and sold recently. Mm. Um, and uh, and so it's, you know, there might be different things that you provide um, in, in the retainer, but just, you know, make it clear. It doesn't need to be rocket science. Yeah. Um, and you don't necessarily need to get it drafted by a lawyer, but um, that that might that might be something that that you want to do to to set yourself up from yep. a good starting point. Makes sense. All right. Um, so, what's your advice in terms of uh, acquiring new clients and then growing a successful HR business? Oh, sales and marketing. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk yeah, yeah. and the whole like jab jab right hook. Um, and, um, and putting out content and, um, you know, sort of give stuff, um, do, do things, get yourself out there. Um, but you know, if you, I'm, I'm a believer in, um, you know, taking yourself out of your comfort zone, but at the same time, don't do stuff that you hate. (laughs) I think that's, you don't, if you're, if you've got, if you're doing your own thing and you really, really hate a sump some aspect i was talking to a consultant recently and she said oh you you do all these panels and you do um talks and uh and i and i said well that's kind of because i like it uh, <laughs> and she said, oh, you know and, and uh and i said why don't you do some of that she goes mm, no really it's not my thing and i said just find something else that is your thing mm. so um but don't be um don't be put off by the opportunities that come your way 
So I had a wonderful opportunity um, in in, um, in lockdown that wouldn't have come my way but for but for lockdown, uh, and I um, I got asked to to write the content and record um, the, all the videos that HR content for an organisation called Enterprise Nation. Okay. Now um, I was really nervous about this and um and it took you know that one like one of the early um videos it took me about eight takes yeah to do the video so it's don't be put off put yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone and say yes and then figure out how the heck you're going to deliver that that is that's excellent advice and yeah the video thing is it's on the rise so I, there are a lot of people fearing getting on video that's for sure yeah it's getting on that stage embrace well, it Grab your iPhone, do some videos. Go for it. Yeah, you're right. So what do you think the the future holds for HR and the world of work? I think that we're in really a really interesting time. I think I mentioned before the whole remote working and flexible working and the dreaded phrase hybrid working. (laughs) So I really hate that. I think they've just they've just thought up another phrase and they've thrown it out at us. And actually we don't need another one because flexible working is sufficient. It covers that. Oh, that's so last year. <laughs> but um, yeah. So um, I think that, I think that we, I think we're in demand. First of all, I think the things that we're hearing, we're talking, we're hearing like much more talk about well-being, mental health. Um, I um, am doing a guest um, event for the CIPD, the Festival of Work. I've joined this. Mm-hmm. I am not even sure what it like social squad or something. Nice. So reporting on the Festival of Work. I'm quite looking forward to that. So I think I think finally we might be um, I think we might be trendy and we might be <laughs> fashionable. I think fi- I think HR is fashionable. Um, I also think this. I think that every HR person should be um, should be looking for some kind of seat on the board uh, and uh, and to um, I mean, obviously, I bring my legal background to that uh, to that you know expertise, but I think that HR needs to be taken very seriously, um, and I think that's the important. I think that's the important thing um, to remember. It's not just the fluffy pink. Um, it's you know the you know the sort of fluffy pink personnel officer that they have this. People have this notion of um, you know what of what HR is, and it isn't. It's so important. Um, to every business, I think it should. I think it should be have equal standing to finance. Absolutely, I mean, I've seen CEOs and managing directors, uh, and sometimes they've chosen to hang out. Let's say more often with the CFO versus the chief HR officer or vice versa. But you can see that just visually, um, it's yeah. a decision. So yeah, it's very important. What advice would you give to your younger self when you're first starting out your business? The phone always rings. That's the first thing. And I remember this um, when I started out thinking, oh, I'm just about to finish this piece of work. What happens if I don't get any more? Uh, 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 oh, phone always rings. Like, it will ring again, you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, it, you know, the, the next piece of work will come. Okay. Um, you make your own, you know, you make your own way and you, you know, you, you cause your own um, destiny. And that sounds, mm. like, sounds like I've been reading The Secret or something, <laughs> you know, manifesting more clients. Yes. Um, but I think, um, and not to be uh, the importance of authenticity, I think, as well. I think that um, I wore far too many pinstripe suits and, <laughs> um, you know, my early um, uh, days as a lawyer. And that really was never me. So I think I think we're living in a time where we can 
afford to be um, more authentic. And then I think that makes us, um, I don't know, confident and be able to be ourselves. So don't be afraid to be yourself. I think that would yeah. be that would be my little message to myself. I like it. And you you, you kind of alluded to that earlier when you were saying that you, you've identified areas of work that you would enjoy more and also types of marketing and sales that you would enjoy more and others you enjoy less and you know, shaping your life and your work around that. So I think that's a great lesson for, for people to listen and uh, take on board. Uh, Emma, I've enjoyed this. We've covered so much ground. Um, so thank you very much for sharing your advice and insights and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me, Ben. It's been lovely. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.